once you've understood your buyer profile, the sales process, it's so streamlined. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, and welcome to episode 83 of the show. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? Everything on track? I'm doing okay. Stuck in lockdown again in Melbourne. Fortunately, residential construction continues to operate, so my projects are ticking along and going well. But gee, being stuck at home with the kids around all the time becomes pretty boring and challenging. Certainly can't wait for some warmer weather and hopefully some more relaxed living conditions. Anyway, if you are stuck in a tough spot somewhere, you're not alone. I know large sections of New South Wales and Sydney are under pretty tight restrictions at the moment, and there seems to be rolling lockdowns popping up all across the country, so the impact of the COVID pandemic continues to roll on. Me, I'm just trying to take it one day at a time and knock over what I can when I can. Speaking of which, here's what's been happening with my projects. Exciting times at Mountain View Road as we held our first group of buyer inspections this week on the townhouses that have been finished off. It's the first time people have had a chance to wander around through their new home, so it's a big milestone in the project and an exciting time for the buyers. Also, I'm very close to satisfying all the permit conditions for the subdivision permit, which will then allow council to issue a statement of compliance and thus in turn enable the new titles to be issued and sent off to the titles office. And that means that settlements are on the near horizon. Yeehaw! One other point of interest on that project is that I finalised an off-the-mark sale directly with one of the neighbours to the site. It was fun to work with them on the sale. It's funny sometimes how things happen during a project. On my other project, still waiting to get town planning endorsement from council. It's coming up to three months now. Far out. It's so slow. Anyway, we are finalising our funding facility and getting all the final pieces in place so that we can get our building permit and get going as soon as that endorsement stamp comes through. I can't wait to get that project underway and it's going to look awesome when it's finished. Here's a quick update on my new training program. I'm really humbled by the number of people who've signed up. So thank you to all those people who are now inside the training. It's really awesome to have that many people signing up. And if you would like to get started in property development and want an easy to consume course that takes you step by step through the development cycle and process, then head over to www.propertydevelopertraining.com and check out what's included. I've been getting great feedback from people, including from Declan, who said, I highly recommend it to anyone wanting to take their developing to the next level. It takes much of what is discussed on the Property Developer Podcast and translates it into the practical process of development. Great training on feasibilities and construction costs. Well, thank you, Declan. I'm glad you enjoyed the training. 
If that sounds good to you, then head over to propertydevelopertraining.com and take a look. I would love to see you on the inside. Now be sure to check out the show's Insta and Facebook feeds for regular updates from my projects. If you're following along, you'll see the videos I've been posting about how my projects are going. And I also put up other things that catch my eye. So do a search for Property Developer Podcast on those platforms. Okay, on to today's guest, Peter Siasios from Inland Property Group. Peter is doing some awesome townhouse projects and slowly growing his development empire. We have a great conversation about how he has gone from tradie to developer and what he has learnt along the way. Peter has been working on controlling as many parts of the development process as he can, including building his own projects. Keep an ear out during this chat about the importance of really understanding who your buyer is, focusing in on what you're good at, and taking your time to grow your business. Now, normally I start off by asking the guest a question, but Peter jumped in and beat me to it. Actually, I'm going to ask you a question. Yep. What's your favorite food that you will eat until you're sick? <laughs> you beat me to the punch. Uh, that's easy. It's pizza. Oh, okay. Yeah. Capuchosa? Uh, what have I been eating lately? Amante della carne. Wow. Okay. Thin base. Yeah, that sounds thin, like it's got a thin base. Yeah, thin base. Spicy meats. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Pretty good. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, had one on Sunday night, actually. Ah, oh, beautiful. Yeah, Nothing very, like a good pizza. Yeah, very nice. Wood-fired, thin base, few choice toppings. Love it. Yep. Yeah. Didn't eat, it didn't eat it till I was sick, but if there was a second one there, I would have kept going. Kept going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it's about. All right. Well, um, you beat me to the punch because I was going to ask you what food you would eat until you were sick. Uh, cinnamon donuts. 12-pack from Woolies or Coles. That's it. Oh, not even a gourmet kind of no, Nothing donut. gourmet about it. Yeah, just, just a raw cinnamon donut. Yeah. Oh, very good. I think someone else once said they would go for donuts, but I think they were hot jam donuts. Hot jam? Now, not that I'm giving away my age, but because uh, I'm not that, that old, but there was a guy in Footscray, Footscray train station, who was set up in a little caravan and he had the best hot jam donuts. So they were just cinnamon. He'd, uh, he'd pump the jam through a pedal at his foot and it'd come out of a dolphin and he'd, he'd push the bun onto it and the dolphin would squirt the jam into it. <laughs> amazing, amazing. If anyone from Footscray will remember that guy at Footscray train station. <sighs> Well, Footscray is uh, rapidly changing these days. It's probably very different from what it was when you were growing up. Yep, yep, definitely, definitely. All right, well, Peter, we're here today as usual to talk about property development and you are a property developer. You've done quite a few projects, doing some really interesting stuff. Can you give us a bit of a background about how you got started and what you're up to. Give us a bit of a flavour of the type of projects that you do. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, we specialise in the owner-occupier market. It's a townhouse product. Uh, more often than not, our townhouses are uh, over basements. 
So we have a, a basement car park and two to three levels above ground. Our, uh, our product sits between the $600,000 and $900,000 range. So it's, a, it's an affordable product with, um, with a, lot of, um, a lot of value comes with that product. Uh, hence the reason why we, we often sell or more often sell to owner-occupiers. Uh, the, the finishes attracting. And how did you get into property developing? Uh, yeah, good question. We um, first purchase, uh, first property ever purchased um, was, uh, you know, from, from the beginning, we had a, uh, a great experience dealing with a real estate agent. Then coming from a trade background, I could apply my craft to the property, renovated it, uh, and then sold it for a profit and thought, wow, that was exciting. You know, every step of the way was exciting. Uh, then we did it again and then moved into Jewelox. So just purchasing six, 700 square metre properties and putting two units and selling them for a profit. And, and then we went from two units to three units to three units to five units. Um, and then tried our hand at small apartment buildings. Uh, the apartment buildings were, were what gave us the, the experience to do what we're doing today. It was, it's a hybrid of a, of a commercial building and the townhouses, and it, it really led us to what we do today. And I understand you're also the builder of the product, so you're the developer and the builder. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. So we are we're involved in in ev- pretty much every step of the way, uh, right through from acquisition to planning. Um, we use architects. However, I'm very descriptive on on what the building should look and feel like. Um, it's important to get the amenity right because the spaces aren't huge. They're, they're not. You know, a townhouse is not a is not a house. It's a home, but it's not a house. And the, the, the floor plans need to be efficient in order to, to make people comfortable and, and love where they live. Um, so, yeah, so we, we purchase, we design, we have an in-house construction team that build, which uh, we do that to ensure that we can mitigate risk, risk from time perspective, there's no overruns, risk from uh, variations and cost control, uh, which is always always tricky, uh, and just just the speed, the speed that we can, we can start and finish a project, you know, from, from acquisition right through to handover, there's, there's no downtime. Once we get our permit, um, you know, we've already engaged in sales um, and then we've, the construction can commence pretty much immediately. And so what would you be looking to do a medium-sized project or a you know, four, five, six-unit project? What's your sort of time frame on wrapping one of those up from go to woe? Yeah, look, the cash cycle is typically a 36-month cash cycle uh, from acquisition through to design through to sales, then construction and settlement. 
we can build them relatively quickly. So we're building um, projects uh, under 12 months. Let's say a townhouse development that has eight townhouses uh, with a 700 square metre basement car park. We'll deliver that from a construction side, 10 to 11 months. Uh, but there's, you know, 12 months at the front end of that that will uh, that will go into your, your marketing. Uh, then there's a few months sales, and then you always allow two to three months at the other end for settlements to take place and let the dust settle. Uh, speaking of dust, you st- said you started out uh, in a trade. Was it a builder? Is that how you became a developer? No, no, no. It started out in a in an interior uh, area, so it's suspended ceilings, metal studs, uh, more more fit out based, um, which. I feel today gave me it had given me a sense of understanding the internal spaces and and volume. You know, um, some of our we will do townhouse homes with two point seven high ceilings as a minimum. In some instances, I'll go to three meters. Uh, a room three by three, a bedroom three meters by three meters, with a three meter ceiling, feels like a, a bedroom that's you know five metres by five metres. Um, so, yeah, that trade background uh, and then moved into building, uh, became a registered builder and really wanted to focus on our own projects. That was always the, the, the end goal, I guess. And so was the reason that you moved into building because you wanted to save costs or you're a control freak or you just <laughs> like the... The process of building, all of the above. No, love the process. I mean, building is is a passion. You know, um, control. Being a control freak, I think, is um, is why we continue to build uh, or have building as part of our our business. Um, it's it, it does allow us to be very descriptive and detailed uh, every step of the way. It's funny you should talk about being a control freak because I was writing about this the other day that to be a good developer, I think you need to be able to delegate and to a certain degree give over control to other people along the way, but still in the, you like to be in charge and controlling or conducting the orchestra, as I often say. Yeah, control. Uh, and I think, you know, having control ensures that you get the product right. Um, you know, we our, our our supposed slogan, if you could call it that, is is driven by detail. Um, we try and get every detail right. Uh, obviously, the more you do at, at once, it does become a little bit more tricky. Uh, but we do have a very close handle on on the finishes um, and how things line up, and and how architraves and skirtings line up, and just tile setouts, things like that. Um, so yeah, control. <laughs> I think you mentioned to me also previously that you did decided to do a drafting course as well, so that you could draw plans. Yep, yep. Did a did a stint at um, at VUT uh, architectural drafting, uh, which gave me a, a, a very good insight and understanding of what um, uh, layouts in particular. And, and it enabled me to read drawings and understand drawings. Uh, coming from a trade background, starting out um, in, in the industry, you, 
you you go to the site and you get told what to do. Uh, you know, put that wall there or, you know, drop that ceiling to that line or, you know, put those, like, clad that wall. Um, but you don't actually get, get the exposure or the experience to work on drawings. So, um, yeah, I did a short stint at VUT, didn't finish the course, um, but got enough out of it to enable me to understand documentation. Yeah, I can't think of uh, jumping in and learning how to do drawings isn't something that tickles my fancy, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. No, I never, I don't think I ever, the intention was never to, to draw. The intention was more about understanding. It was more understanding the documents. Yeah, and you touched on um, layouts and the importance of that and previously you just mentioned about how a townhouse is a home. It's not a house and the importance that you've discovered about getting the layout right. You've already touched on having the high ceilings. What are some of the other things that you've learnt or discovered that you focus on to try and make those smaller spaces or properties feel bigger or or special? Yeah, look, the, the bathrooms, if we start with the bathrooms, I think having a place for or trying to have a place for everything is important. Um, the, the rooms aren't uh, aren't massive. They're not. They're not. They're not houses. Um, so having having a spot for everything is important. Uh, little things like our our shaving shaving cabinets or medicine cabinets that sit above the basin, ensuring that they're deep enough to to have put you know whatever hairspray or you know whatever you fancy to put in there. But having a couple of hundred mil as a cavity, um, having a PowerPoint inside that cabinet. So you can charge your, your shaver or, you know, whatever you want to charge in there. So hairspray um, is not going to be something that you and me need to worry about. No, 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 no. We're not the clients that you're designing <laughs> for, obviously. <laughs> no, but shaving, shaving something that we don't do enough of. Um, so, you know, even the, the, you know, the medicine cabinet, the bottom, the, the bottom uh, of the cabinet has a scallop in it so that you can, you can plug in your, you know, your hairdryer or electric charger, close the door, and the cord can still hang out, and you can still have have access to the mirror. So just just little things like that, uh, you know, the robes having having as much hanging space in the robes as possible, um, and big windows, natural light, natural light is good, natural light and ventilation um, is very important to to making the room feel good. It's funny when you start thinking about all those little things and then you keep working on them and suddenly over time they add up to a significant difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, and um, and then, you know, the kitchens, the just having dish drawers for dishwashers instead of your normal door that comes down and gets in the way. And uh, in particular in the smaller townhomes, having a, a double dish drawer is an advantage because the, the Fisher and Parker ones uh, are ones that we often use. The being a double draw means one could be out being washed as a wash cycle, and the other one could be used as storage, so that you don't have you know dishes in the sink. You can give them a rinse and, and, and build up another you know another batch ready to wash. And so, are you also doing your own selling, or do you engage a sales agent to do that? Yeah, we do. We um. Our, I like to get involved in the, the sales process. 
the we have an agent. We'll, we'll appoint an agent, a local agent, a retail agent, to sell the the stock. But I sit in on our meetings with the agent and get to know the buyer and try and, and understand what it is they're after and make sure that they're purchasing the right product for them. Uh, understanding our buyer, we often develop in the same northwest corridor. So talking to the buyers firsthand prior to them purchasing means that we're getting a lot of a lot of intel, a lot of a lot of insight from them, which we then implement into our future developments. Um, and it's, it is understanding the buyer. Once you've understood your buyer profile, the sales process is a, it, it's so streamlined. Yeah, I agree. Having those conversations with buyers is invaluable. And I also think it's really helpful for them to see you as a, a person, as a human. You're not just the developer who's doing the project. You're a real person. You've got a genuine interest in trying to make them happy, deliver a good product, and I yep. think it helps along the way and particularly towards the end when you're handing over uh, that they know you've been working on it, they've had a conversation with you, you've got their best interests at heart, uh, and I think that just makes for a smoother process all around. Yeah, and look... In the early stages, we want to make sure that the product is right for them. I don't, I don't want to sell somebody a, a, a two-bedroom townhome when really they wanted a three-bedroom townhome. Um, and then they move in and it's not right or it doesn't fit or their expectation was different. Um, it, it's very important you're you you're in, you know, you're you're in check with your buyer. It's very important, very important. And so how many of the when do you sit in on these meetings? The initial inquiry will often come to me um, through the through um, through the website for the project. Uh, if it's via realestate.com, it'll go to the agent and we'll set up what's called a buyer appointment and we'll get together. Uh, we don't have sales offices because our, our developments are you know, under 20. So we don't have an on-site uh, sales office or anything like that. So it'll either be at our office or at the real estate agent's office. And we'll just sit in and, and understand the buyer and make sure that the product's right for them. It's very important that to, to us that we sell uh, the townhome to fit their lifestyle. And is it helpful that you've got plenty of product that you can send people around to have a look at? I mean, it's always one of the big challenges when you're selling off the plan, isn't it, that you're selling a, an idea, you've got a vision, but really what you're selling is a concept on paper to someone and hoping that they'll trust you to come through with the goods. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we um, there are, there's a, a lot of developments that have been completed that we give the purchase, or at that stage there are potential purchases, addresses to go and look at, uh, and they drive past the buildings and then they, they come back to us and, and ask questions, how long did that take to build, and et cetera, et cetera. The, the biggest thing is, is, is exactly that, the trust, um, which is why we're involved right from the beginning. We sit down with the guys so that the purchasers, so that they do trust us. They do, they do see that, you know, as you mentioned earlier, it's not just a, a guy hiding behind a door somewhere. Um, I'm a real person and, 
yeah, we, we, you know, we often invite them through, um, especially if there's been upgrades through the project, to come in and have a look at their upgrades um, while, whilst the construction is underway. Um, and, you know, two or three visits, so we have the, the initial meeting, two or three visits through site at handover. It's a very smooth process because they've been to the site, they've driven past on weekends with their parents or, you know, with their partners. They're, they're super excited about it. And so do you handle liaison with buyers after that? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, once the purchase is made, whether it's through us directly or through the agent, uh, all the inquiries through the build uh, come directly to myself. Uh, so I'm the point of contact from the beginning right through the development and at handover, I'm there to hand in their keys and, and see their smiling faces. Yeah, which is a pretty good feeling when you're giving someone their new keys and they're happy about it. Uh, sure is, sure is, yeah. And can you just give us a bit of an idea about your team or the business? Have you how many staff you've got or what they do? Yeah. Sure, we've we've got uh, our our business is broken into into two parts, being the development and the construction. So the uh, there's a very small office team uh, that we manage all our all our administration from acquisition through town planning with the architects and our town planners. Um, and then once we hand it to site, we have um, we have a management team, we have some skilled labourers, and then our long term subcontract base. Uh, we been working with the same contractors now for for years. Um, in some instances, over ten years, we've had the same contractors, which you know I I think contributes to the success of the development. Um, the guys understand our our benchmark they know what they're working towards they understand our detail and um they understand the timelines and and that's how we can build them quickest because we we have long-term relationships with with contractors and do you do builds for other people no we try we try not to unless there's an existing relationship there um we we stick to our own our own projects we did that. There was there was a period where we uh, we tried our hand at, at building for others, and it's um, look whilst it's it's good for cash flow, um, we we find that it we, it distracts us from building our own projects. Yeah, I can see how that would easily happen. So I've got to ask: at the moment, we've got ridiculously rising. Or increasing construction costs, you're you're probably seeing that. Are you, what are you doing to try and mitigate it, or what ideas or tips might you give to people out there to try and offset some of these pretty hefty regular increases in costs? Yeah, look, costs are um, in particular timber has um, it's it's gone up three four times um, what it, what it was worth twelve months ago. In value, um, unfortunately, there's not much you can do to to control the cost, um, other than just working, trying to work more efficiently, uh, minimise waste. So, you know, with frames, potentially look at prefab, so that, that there's no wastage on site. Um, and I think it just comes down to speed. I think you need to get in and out as quick as possible. Um, and and that's that's one of the things that where developers. Um, you know, when development takes too long, it's just it chews into your bottom line. 
Yeah, which is one of the very frustrating aspects of developing is that there's so many variables and you're at the mercy of so many different authorities and councils and areas where you're really just hanging around waiting for someone else to sign something off for you. It is a very, um, it's a slow-moving beast development. Um, the, The town planning stage if you have no objections, you can get through within eight months, which is a, is a long time. Eight months is a long time. Um, and then your sales, if, if you've got a great product and you're in line with your buyer profile, uh, that, will, that will happen quickly. You'll move, you'll move your stock very quickly. Um, and then, yeah, the build. Time, time, time is, is the biggest killer in developments, you know. Now, someone was asking me the other day about how builders price projects, just looking at their feasibility, they were interested in how they can get more accurate in doing their construction cost numbers. So, have you got any advice for budding or fledgling, not even fledgling, more experienced developers about how they can really improve on nailing their construction costs for their feasibilities? Because most people will go, well, I just use a X amount per square meter, and that'll kind of roughly give me what I need. No, I think you need to pull job apart. I think you really need to break a job down to understand the true value, because no two developments are the same. Um, you know, here we, because we we start right from the beginning with the with the purchase, and we've got that vision through the develop through the the town planning and the and the, the drawing phase. We try and manage costs by way of um, floor plates, having the right size, not having any wasted space. Uh, and, and being part of that journey means that when we're ready to actually engineer and document the project, ready for construction, we've got a very good understanding on, on where the costs will end up. Uh, and then off the back of that, it, it gets documented and we build them quick. That's the secret. There's, there's, there's really no other way to, to put it in the current market. Speed. You just need speed. You need to get in now. And so what would you say is the one thing that you really focus on now with your experience? Is there one aspect of a project that you really focus on? Acquisition. Yep. Yeah, the, uh, you know, with understanding your buyer profile will enable you to buy the right site in the right location. You will be able to create an amenity that will give the guys comfort, that will give them space. Uh, So acquisition is somewhere we spend a lot of time. Uh, You you make your money when you buy. A lot of it happens at the front end. Profits in the buying. Sure is. Profits in the purchase. And what about yourself? What have you learned about yourself along the way, Peter? Well, I've learned that I learn something new every day. Every day, uh, every day we're learning. Um, look, as, as we mentioned before, development is, is, a, is a slow-moving beast. It's, and it's evolving. You know, it evolves every day. There's, there's something new every day, whether it's a new technology or, or a new way to build 
or a, a new council uh, regulation, <laughs> another another hurdle. Um, look, I think being patient. You need patience. Uh, you can't you you can't go from doing drill locks to uh, you know developing hundred townhouses on a site overnight. I think slow and steady um, is is the way it um, the, the best way to work. Yeah, I reckon you need patient impatience. That's it. That's it. Patient you impatience. You kind yeah. of, to a certain degree, some things are out of your control, but you also need to push things along sometimes and. Yeah. Quite often you're walking this really delicate line between being really pushy and being annoying. <laughs> especially with the council. Especially with the council. And you've yeah. got to I think the other th- find that line. Yeah, I think I think one of the other things is um transparency. I think what I've uh, you know, over the two decades of developing, um, you know, being transparent is is a great way to do business. Um, have you know no hidden agenda. Um, right again, right from the the acquisition, being transparent with whether you're buying uh, off market and you're doing a deal direct with the the landowner, um, you know, let them know what your intentions are and and why you can only pay so much for the site. Um, yeah, transparency I think is is a big thing um, in our business. We like to be transparent with our, you know, when we purchase with our purchases with our construction team the guys out on site the subcontractors you know right down to right down to the small sub you know trade that that comes to site um transparency is is important what does that mean though peter being transparent yeah look you know being transparent so with a contractor um ensuring that they understand the scope of works Ensuring that they've covered everything in their quote, making sure that you know that there's no hidden secrets, basically with your contractors. That will give them the confidence to come into your project and and really smash it out for you, really get the work done quickly. Um, and they know that you want them to have a good run. You want them to make money on your site. It's very important when a contractor can come to your site, get his work done very quickly, make money. Uh, he'll always come back and do it again for you. Um, so I think, you know, having that, uh, even with our own staff being transparent, um, the direction that we want to take the business, making sure they understand it, uh, making sure that, you know, they, they understand what, what I do on a daily basis is important. Because um, you know, they might ring me at, you know, 7.30 in the morning and, you know, I might not pick up because I'm in a meeting. Um and just, just, yeah, just everybody understanding uh, what everyone's doing. You've touched on the direction of the business there. Can you give us a bit of an idea about where you look like or where you'd like to take the business? Yeah, look, we um we're at a good a good space at the moment. We're doing townhouses uh, with with underground car parks. Um, they range from you know, six to eight townhouses uh, up to, we've got a project at the moment that um, is on the drawing board, which is 32 townhouses. Um, that'll be done over, I think, two stages is um, is the way we're going to handle that. Um, 
the the business is, um, I suppose, a, a, a bespoke business with regards to the scale. We we're very comfortable at ten townhouses, at, you know, on any on any site, uh, and have a couple of those going at once. Um, we, we understand our buyer, we understand the model, and we understand the mechanics of the business. Um, and I, I believe that sticking to your knitting. Uh, is you know eventually you end up with a quilt, so you know. I might have to use that quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a good one. It is, and and it makes sense. You know, if you if you if you're consistent, uh, and you seem to be consistent out there in the marketplace, um, there's a, there's a lot of confidence that come from your your buyers. Yeah, well, I think town houses, townhomes, that infill developments in major cities in Australia has a pretty bright future because there's going to be demand for it. Can't keep yeah. going out. No, that's right. And that's where, you know, the experience, the basement experience, experience is, uh, comes into it because the only way to get the, the yield out of the site is to put an underground carpet. Yeah, that's right. I think it's going to become more common because the way the planning rules are, you can't go outwards with your footprint so you you have to go up, and then you've got limitations on going up two levels in most instances. So then you got to go down. That's it. That's it. So it'll just become more common, and then the price of those properties will just reflect the cost that it takes to build them. But they're a good product. I think you get a place to park your car. You get some dirt underneath your title. You get yep. quite a bit of living space. You get an outdoor area. Yeah, it's a it's a good product. Yeah, especially we we look at when we when we buy the site. So the the acquisition, we make sure that there's great access to infrastructure. So public transport, uh, you know, local cafes, um, you know, just parks, rivers, whatever's around lifestyle. We don't necessarily rely on the the develop the actual development to to give you the amenity because they're not big enough to have a, a rooftop pool or an indoor gym or any of that sort of stuff. So we 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 do purchase in areas that have a lot on offer. Um, that you know you can if you've got a small dog you can walk your dog down the park or yeah. And tell me, what's one of the greatest challenges you reckon you've ever had delivering a project? Yeah, so I think the the delivery is a is a process. The, delivering a project is a system. So I, I don't think that there are as many challenges that we've had in delivering. I think it's more the challenges in the acquisition. Um, you know, ensuring that you buy right uh, is is critical. It, it'll it'll make or break the development because you know you're in it for 24, 36 months. And, you know, if you've bought wrong, if it doesn't stack up from the beginning, there's, there's going to be trouble the whole way. Um, so I think the challenges in the acquisition are making sure that you, you buy right. Um, and, you know, time, time is, is critical because it's, it's one of the biggest expenses that you can have in development is time. It's, um, it's not cheap. There's a lot of capital that you put in. And... Um, and before you know it, time moves very quickly. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I think it goes slow, but then it also goes fast. 
show does, show does. Yeah. <laughs> you look back and you say, oh my God. Yep, three, definitely, le- three yeah. years later, you're sitting there going, the project isn't finished yet. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, at the moment, it's tricky with sites. I mean, we're, it's, what is it, August 2021, in the middle of a COVID crisis, and, um, and, and I don't know how this is happening, but the real estate market is out of control. Um, so securing sites where the the risk reward um, stacks up, it's it's the ratio there is very hard at the moment to find sites that stack up. You really got to look hard. Very true. And if you go back and change one thing about your career, your developing career, what would it be? Look, I'd have to say nothing. I think um, I, I think fundamentally, you know, the journey is um, it, is is what it's about. Um, you know, all the woes of a journey uh, are what take you. You know, what make it for you. You have your highs and your lows, and you have your your, your good days, and, and sometimes your not so good days. Um, but look, you know, the journey is um, is what it's about. That's you know, it's exciting. Every day there's something new. Um, you know, you think, oh, I can't find a site, I can't find a site, this doesn't work, and you'll look at 30 sites and you'll, you'll, you'll be frustrated and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, a site will appear uh, off market or on market and you'll be super excited about it and, and then you start the whole process again and, and, yeah, it's good, it's good. Speaking of highs, what would you say has been the high point so far? Uh, every time you get a planning permit approved. <laughs> <laughs> without That's a doubt, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Uh, now look you know yeah, with, with um the the journey that there are highs the whole way through because every day you're evolving as an individual you're meeting new people um you're delivering products to, to people at the end that they're super excited about and they love and you know you'll get Christmas cards or you'll get, um, you know, phone calls because their friends have seen it and they want to know what you're working on and, and what you've got for sale. So, yeah, look, a lot, there's a, it's a, it can be very rewarding industry. Yeah, well, certainly better than getting voodoo dolls with uh, knitting needles stuck through <laughs> the middle of them, Peter. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> what about a project? Is there a particular project that stands out for you that you're quite proud of yeah uh, i'm proud of every project every project that we deliver has something um has something special about it um we've got the stuff that we're working on at the moment um is um, i'm ex- i'm extremely excited about one that we've uh, we've just started construction on in essendon uh that's sold out um it's it is a really good looking building the the amenity i feel that we got the amenity right on this one. We have, uh, you know, they're two-bedroom townhomes. Uh, both bedrooms are master bedrooms, so they both have uh, great size on suites, natural light, skylights, all the courtyards are north-facing. Um, the, garage, the, the basement has lock-up garages, so you drive into your basement and then you drive into your garage. Um, so yeah, that one there, uh, which will be completed this time next year, is um, is yeah. I really look forward to seeing that one completed. We did a uh, we did an apartment building in St Kilda East back in uh, 2013. Uh, Habel 
designed it. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Hable Architects. Uh, the building was, the whole building is off form, um, including the, the, the ceilings inside. Uh, and that one is, that was a, a challenging build. So we had a lot of farm building there. Um, we had power lines at the front and uh, the guys at Hable wanted us to deliver an off form looking building by way of precast. And we couldn't, uh, we couldn't do the precast because we couldn't use a crane because of the power lines. So we, we formed the building up as we built, as we went up each level. We formed it and we shot creep the building from the inside. So that when we removed all the ply forming externally, it looked like an in situ building. And uh, yeah, that one there's nice. It's a good looking building. And you just mentioned your project is sold out. Is that something that you would regularly do, sell out before you start? Would you, yeah, normal, would you keep some to sell at the end and see if you make a little bit of extra along the way? When the market's moving and the stock is selling, we, we keep selling. If it's a slow market, we'll sell to get their coverage and then we'll commence the project. Uh, that way, you know, the bank have an out, we have an out, we get our capital back out, we can roll it back into the next one. Um, so, yeah, more often than not, we'll sell sell out before we start. Um, it, it just gives us the certainty at the other end that, you know, we can move on. Uh, we've always got projects in the pipeline, so we always need to be injecting capital uh, into these projects. And we want to make sure that if we've sold out a project, uh, we want to be able to start it. So, it's, yeah, we basically take the money and, and reinvest it. Very good. Well, if you had one piece of advice for developers out there about taking their business to the next level, what would it be? Uh, slow and steady. Slow and steady, I think, is, um, is, is a good way to start if, uh, if you're starting out. Um, just scale up with your own capital. I think, um, I think if you can stick to the majors, uh, as a funding partner and put your own capital into it um, and just a slow scale. There's no rush. There's no rush. Uh, bigger isn't always better. So, yeah, and I think also understand your buyer profile. It's very important that if you're developing in a suburb, understand the demographic know who your buyer is going to be and cater for that market, um, making sure that, you know, there's no point developing uh, a one-bedroom model in a suburb that is, you know, out of city and has houses that are cheaper than that one-bedroom product. Uh, so, yeah, very important to understand your buyer profile. Very good. Well, Peter Siasos from Inland Property Group, it's been really awesome having you on the Property Developer Podcast. Really appreciate your insights today. If people want to find out more about you, where can they go? You can go to inlandpg.com.au or they can visit our Instagram page at inland underscore pg. Well, I'll have to start following you on Insta now. Any parting words of advice, Peter? Uh, no, thanks for having me. It's been awesome having you on the show. Best wishes with the delivery of the projects and 
Bye for now. Thanks, Justin. All the best. See ya. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas, and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.